Good morning. If you'd like to read with me, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. This morning, as bad as I hate to, I may have to abbreviate this sermon, do the first part of it, and then pick the second part up uh, this evening because I am having a terrible time with my voice. And I apologize for that. I guess I'm just going to have to break down and go see the doctor. At any rate, this morning I want us to turn our attention uh, to a topic that has captured the imagination uh, of people almost from the beginning of time, and that is angels. We'll talk just for a few moments about angels, not uh, necessarily in the general sense, but particularly uh, what our passage this morning is dealing with. <clears throat> but angels have been the topics of, of stories and movies, poems. Uh, there have been untold people who supposedly encountered angels. Of course, angels do not present themselves to people today. But angels are very real. They are God's ministers, and in some way they have uh, helped Him to carry out His will, or at least they did in the past. They may have fulfilled the things that He had in mind for them to do as far as their interaction with people. Uh, obviously, that doesn't happen anymore. <clears throat> but when we read about angels, uh, what we read about in the New Testament now is that they are in heaven with God and that they surround the throne of God. But I think it is important to understand the essence of angels if we're going to learn anything about them in particular. We need to know in a general sense some things about them and that way we can understand who they are and we can learn some uh, much needed lessons from them. And the title of the sermon this morning is The Lessons We Learn From Angels. The Lessons We Learn From Angels. <clears throat> to begin with, it's very important to understand that angels are created beings. They are not eternal and they are not deity. God created angels. To, uh, when God finished creating the world, we read over in Job 8, or Job 38, 6 through 7, that when He finished creating the, uh, the world in which we live, thank you, uh, the angels rejoiced, and they were happy. They were glad at what they saw. 
the uh, the group we know as angels or that certain type of being is uh, they are often referred to as the host of heaven. Now, along with the host of heaven, we would have the sun, the moon, the stars, but also angels. Uh, because the word host translated means uh, a mass of persons or figurative things, especially organized for war, such as an army. We might call the, the host, or when we read about <clears throat> the captain of the hosts of God's army, right? We see that, and, and so we're talking about it can mean different things, and often when we hear that word host, it is a reference to angels. Now, when Moses warned the Israelites prior to going in to uh, possess the land of Canaan, he warned them about being corrupted and being influenced by those people around them when they move into that nation because they were idolaters. They worshipped anything and everything. In fact, they worshipped anything that was created, and they did not worship the true God of heaven. And so when we read that uh, warning in Deuteronomy 4.19, Moses said, Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the host of heaven shouldst be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. So, angels, when we hear that word, the host of heaven, often refers to the angelic beings. Also, angels do not have physical bodies. They're spirit beings. Of course, in the past, they manifest themselves uh, to uh, people such as uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, to Abraham, to Daniel, to Mary and Joseph, but they had manifest themselves in the form of a man. And so unless they are appearing to God's other creation, they are simply spirit beings. Uh, they are very numerous Psalm 80, uh, 68, 17. They are extremely powerful. Genesis 19, we see that the two angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed the five cities of the plains. So they have uh, an abundance of power, but they do not possess the characteristics of deity. They're smart. They're powerful. And they can make their presence known uh, when God needed them to do that. But, they're not all-powerful. They're not omnipotent. That's a characteristic uh, that only deity has. In fact, we learn from uh, the New Testament in Hebrews 1, 1 Peter 3, 2 Peter 2, Jude uh, verse 6, that though they are powerful, they were not able to usurp the throne of God in heaven. In fact, <clears throat> there was no match for God, obviously, in the, the moment that they tried to rebel in whatever way they rebelled, they were cast out. Angels are exceedingly smart, but they're not all-knowing. They don't know all things. They didn't know the mysteries of the gospel as they peered into it, 1 Peter 1.12. Angels are not omnipresent. They're not everywhere at one time. In other words, they can't be in one uh, more than one place at a time, like we can. We can be here, or we can be there, but we can't be both. We might be in transition, but we cannot occupy two places at one time. Neither can an angel. And we know that when we read Daniel 9, verse 21. Gabriel was dispatched from heaven, and he went to Daniel. There's something else that 
is very interesting about angels. Angels are arranged by rank. Okay? There are only two angels that we read of in the Bible who are named, and the first one that maybe a lot of people think of is Michael the archangel. Michael the archangel possesses the power of heaven. Uh, Jude verse 9, we learn about him. And upon Christ's return, his shout will be heard when the Lord comes at the second appearing, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Now, we're not told if Michael the archangel is a separate uh, cast or rank of angels. I kind of believe he might be uh, the next angel we're going to talk about, but we're not told for sure. We're just simply told he's Michael the archangel. Of course, then... There are angels to which uh, our writers spoke this morning. The seraphim. The seraphim are very powerful and they have the very distinct pleasure of serving around the throne of God as illustrated in our passage. And that leads me to believe that Gabriel was a seraphim, Luke 1, 19. He came from serving around the throne of God. It's not specifically stated that he was a seraphim, but he may very well have been. That brings us to the cherubim. It seems cherubims are guardians. When the first couple were cast out of the Garden of Eden, uh, Genesis chapter 3, cherubim was placed at the entrance to guard it. The image of two cherubim were placed atop the Ark of the Covenant, we read in Exodus 25. Ezekiel 10, 1 through 5, they guarded the house of Ezekiel's uh, uh, vision. An angel guarded the bottomless pit, we read about in Revelation 20, and uh, perhaps they were cherubim. The angels guarded the uh, entrance into heaven, Revelation 21, 12. Perhaps they were cherubim. But anyway, cherubim seemed to be guardians. And so when we study the writings of Ezekiel, though, we see a very big difference between seraphim and cherubim, at least in the way they are described to us. Let's read... uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 10, uh, particularly verses 20 through 22. Ezekiel says, uh, This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river, river of Kibar. And I knew that they were the cherubims, had four faces apiece, every one four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings. In the likeness of their faces was the same faces which I saw by the river of Kibar, their appearances and themselves. They went every one straight forward. Now, you can back up to Ezekiel chapter 1 and what he's doing. He's just repeating that, that vision. He saw it again. He said it was just like the one I'd seen previously. Of course, in chapter 1, he described the faces. One was the face of a man. One was the face of a lion. Uh, one the face of an ox and one the face of an eagle. And of course, when we look at these uh, uh, revelations or these things that were revealed to uh, to the writers, the visions, we have to understand what God's trying to get across to us, right? He's trying to explain to us in some way that we can understand what's going on because we can't fully comprehend His mind. So when we talks about the, the angel having four faces, I don't know that that's a literal thing because they don't have a literal body, okay? But when it talks about the face of a man, that talks about reason more often than not when we read the Bible. Angels have the ability of reason. The face of an ox, we think of strength, and so they're very strong. 
the, the face of a lion. That's a regalness uh, that they, they possess. And then, of course, uh, the face of an eagle. That is uh, swiftness. And so they have all of those capabilities. Now, whether they have four faces or not, uh, they have a spirit body. But it talks about four wings. And each wing was outstretched, <clears throat> or two of their wings were, and, and they were connected to two of the other wings, right? So really what they did, they kind of made a square, one on each side of the of the cube. And when they moved, they moved straight forward. They didn't have to turn and look. They just moved in whatever direction they were going. Of course, when God sent them on a mission, they went straight to the mission. They didn't dilly-dally around, and I think that's what Ezekiel's trying to get across to us. Of course, uh, he goes on to describe some other things, but I think that's what he's talking about. And so the cherubim are very different. They have four wings. They cover their bodies with the one set of wings, and then the other set were outstretched. Now, here's something else about angels. They're beings of will. They have free will. They have an opportunity to choose whether to be righteous or not to be righteous. And uh, we can see that <clears throat> with the problem that presented itself uh, the time Satan rebelled against God. And when we read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, and we put that together with Jude, verse 6, uh, it appears that they chose to rebel because of their pride. Okay? Jude says they didn't like the, the estate where they were placed. They left their first estate. They wanted, it appears to me, to have a better estate. Maybe they wanted to be in the position Michael was in. Or maybe the position Gabriel was in. Maybe they wanted to dethrone God Himself. You would think they would know better than that, but they rebelled against Him anyway. And so when we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of the reasons that an elder is to be an older man is so he doesn't fall into the temptations of pridefulness like the devil. Okay? And so that may be what the problem was. But this morning, I want us to learn from the seraphim mentioned in Isaiah's vision. Simply by their description. And I think when we look at their description, we can look at uh, some qualities that they possess, that they demonstrate in this position that we need to possess in our own lives and that God expects us. Now remember what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. Cherubim had four wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. In the vision, the wings involved the face, the feet, and flying. And I want us to take uh, the information given to us by Isaiah. There's not a lot of information in the Bible regarding angels. But let's take what he says and let's allow each of those which speaks to the honor God should receive and manifest that in our own lives. Let's begin with the face. Okay? When covering the face in the presence of God represents reverence. So when they... With two of their wings, they covered their faces. That represents a posture of reverence. Have you ever noticed that a person who has been kept in a dark room, or maybe you've been watching a movie or something, you have the lights turned down, and then someone turns the lights on, what do you do? You want to shade your eyes, right? 
You go from inside doing something into the bright sun outside. You need your sunglasses or you cover your eyes. You want to shade them, right? Well, that's that's what we're talking about here. The glory of God. When we're in the presence of the glory of God, His holiness is brilliant. And we see that in the actions. Now, we recall what happened to Moses. He ascended Mount Sinai. He spent 40 days up there receiving the tablets of stone. And when he came down, do you remember what had happened to him? His skin shined. In fact, it scared the people and he had to put a, put a veil on Exodus 34, 29. And of course, we remember the occasion when Moses, in his interactions with God, he said, I want to see your glory. He wanted to see God as it were face to face, didn't he? He had seen the manifestations of God, but he wanted to see God for who He was. You remember what God told him, Exodus 33, verse 20? He said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Why? Because of the brilliance of God. No one could withstand that power and that brilliance. In my mind... When I read that passage, I see someone just being burned to an ash in the very presence of God. He's that powerful and He's that bright. We remember on the mountain where Peter, James, and John saw the transfiguration of Christ. And Peter suggested that that they build three tabernacles. We recall that. He said, let's build one to Moses, one to Elijah, and one to the Lord. Well, he was... He was bringing those other men either up on Jesus' level or bringing Jesus down on their level. Either way, it wasn't to be. And you recall before the words were even out of His mouth, this booming voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. You recall what those three men did? They fell down on their faces. They were shielding their faces from a voice. And again, when I hear that, I just hear this booming, thunderous voice coming from heaven. Matthew 17, 5 and 6. They wanted to hide. They had this reverential awe, awe of God. When Paul spoke about the man of sin, he said that he would be destroyed, First or Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8, by the brightness of His coming. He's talking about Jesus. Of course, this isn't a... A sermon on the man of sin, but the man of sin, not any one particular person. It was a movement and uh, uh, anything uh, much like the Antichrist. But he's going to be destroyed with the brightness of Christ coming. When he comes back, we're going to hear that shout of the archangel Michael. We're going to hear the trumpet. We're going to see the Christ come. And he's going to come in brightness and glory. Those who lie and live wicked lives. They're not going to be able to escape the brightness of Jesus at the second coming. It's not going to be like going from a a darkened room into a a lit outside and shading the eyes, or, or being able to fall to the ground and cover your face, or put something over you. And we read throughout the Revelation, in different places throughout the Bible, when people, uh, as illustration, are going to face a judgment, they'll cry for the mountains to fall upon them. To cover them. Why? Trying to get away from the brilliance of God. The wicked cannot get away from the brilliance of God. What a great lesson from the seraphim that we learn in Isaiah chapter 6 of the reverence offered to God. I think reverence 
in the world and particularly in our nation needs to be offered to God. And we're a little short on that, aren't we? I think God is treated flippantly. If Even if He is considered at all, He's treated with mockery. That's not reverential law. We have a, a picture of the seraphim with six wings and two of those wings covering their faces. Covering their faces. Not because they're afraid of God, but in reverence to God. Now remember, angels are beings of free will. Those who remained in heaven, they chose righteousness over rebellion. We see reverence, but reverence cannot be offered to God unless one is righteous. We have to be righteous in the presence of God. Paul reminded his readers, Galatians 5.22, that goodness was a fruit of the Spirit. Now, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, he said goodness was the fruit of light. Righteousness was the fruit of light and truth was the fruit of light. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Ephesians 5, 7-9. through 9. I think it is difficult to separate the qualities of goodness and the qualities of righteousness. They're very similar. Two distinct words... In the, in the original language and, and, and used differently in, in a lot of senses in our English language. But they are very similar in what they present. Uh, goodness and righteousness. Goodness means uprightness of heart and life. And righteousness means integrity, means virtue, purity of life and right, rightness. Those are very similar. If we're going to live upright in life, we have to be righteous. We have to have purity. We have to have those characteristics and those qualities. And we see that in the seraphim. They're righteous. They chose that. They chose that. They weren't forced to remain in heaven. They weren't forced to love God. They had the same choice that we have. Now, there is a difference in the angel and the person. An angel is in heaven. An angel sees God for what he is. There is no faith involved. In heaven. See, when we look, have, think about faith here on earth, Hebrews 11 verse 6, and Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What happens when we get to heaven? We're going to see God in His true state. So when the angels decided to rebel, there was no avenue for a second pardon, law of second pardon. That didn't exist because they, they weren't operating on faith. The person, humanity, operates on faith. And so when we make a mistake in this life as Christians, we're able to access the second law of pardon. And so uh, when we look at these ideas of goodness and righteousness, before a person is ever able to offer reference to God, he must first be upright. He must possess integrity and purity of life. I think those are some wonderful lessons that we learn from the seraphim. Again, seraphim look different, or at least they are described differently than uh, the cherubim. But notice, when we read about the cherubim, they had two wings that were outstretched, used for flying, I can only imagine. And with the other two wings, they covered their bodies. 
Well, we see reverence and righteousness before God. They simply are described as having a different appearance, but they have the same inner qualities. And that's some of the things that we need to make application to in our own lives. We don't have a lot of information about angels, but we need to be able to to read what we do about angels, to be able to make that application to our lives. If one wants to to be in heaven eternally, he has to possess those qualities. We have to be able to to have righteousness and reverence for God. And, And what that means is obedience, really, right? It all boils down to obedience. If we want to use the example of of the angels in heaven who in some way rebelled against God, they were disobedient to God. They they chose not to do what He said. So they didn't possess righteousness and they didn't possess reverence for Him. Much like people today in the world. I think in general, well I know in general people do not regard God in the way that He ought to be regarded and there is no reverence or righteousness. But for the person who wants to live eternally in heaven, must have that reverence for God and that righteousness in obedience toward Him. And we understand what that is. The Bible is plainly stated, the plan of salvation for us, faith in Jesus. He is the one, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and following. In times past, God spoke to the prophets, or spoke to the people through the prophets. But now in these last days, He speaks to us through His Son. And we have to have that faith in Him, that He is who He said He was. We have to be willing to take that message and, and apply it to our lives, change our lives in the way necessary. We know that is repentance. And we see that preached in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Making that good confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is paramount. It is so important. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, uh, verse 10 particularly, Paul said, "...with the heart man believeth unto righteousness." And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we're not even in salvation at that point, but it brings us unto the precipice. Just believing alone is not going to get it done, is it? Just confessing alone is not going to get it done. But that leads us to immersion in water. And that's what Ananias told of praying, fasting, weeping Saul of Tarsus. After he taught him the gospel, he said, Saul, Saul. Why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Well, how do we call on the name of the Lord? We're obedient to Him. Those angels who were in heaven, who resisted the temptation to rebel against God, they called on the name of God. They were in obedience to Him. Calling on the name of God is not simply calling out His name. It's obedience to Him. And we see that in Acts twenty-two sixteen. Of course, living a faithful life. And we again use the example of the, of the angels. Those who remained in heaven chose that existence. They chose to be with God. They didn't want to leave the presence of God. There was no temptation that, that was worth costing them eternity in hell. Hell was, was created for the devil and his angels. Never intended for man. Never intended for humanity. But we can go there. We can go there if we choose not to be righteous and we choose not to be reverent. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that today. If you have and you've become unfaithful, unlike the angels in heaven, we have the second law of pardon, 1 John 1, James chapter 5. We can confess our faults one to another. We can 
pray to God personally if we have a sin that is, is known only to the person and to God and ask Him to forgive us and He will do that. Or maybe we've sinned publicly in a way that, that we can't go to everyone who is aware of it and, and make amends for that. And then we can come forward and confess those faults one to another. Make the statement on the fact that you've done wrong and you want God to forgive you. That doesn't mean we have to give every detail of the things that have happened, but we do need to make the uh, uh, the statement that we know we've done wrong because we know whether we have or not. We can't we can't follow that statement. Well, if I've done anything, well, we know whether we've done it or not. We just need to own it, right, and ask God to forgive us, and He's willing to do that. Hope you come back to hear part two of this lesson. And I apologize for not being able to to get it out today. But if you need to answer the Lord's invitation at this hour, do that as we stand and as we sing.